All right. Well, with that being said, let's get into the preaching of the Word today. It is almost Valentine's Day, and generally this time of year around Valentine's, uh, I do a real specific teaching series, you know, looking at something along the lines of romance, love, marriage, healthy sexuality, you know, all of those things that are kind of wrapped up in this idea of Valentine's Day. And so this year, a little different, but still in the same vein, is God really put it strongly upon my heart that we would discuss the idea of moral purity, of moral purity. And, you know, as a church, we have had to uh, deal with sexual sin within the church. We had to uh, discipline a couple last year, and, and we, we grieved together as a church as we went through that process. And, and, and so that's still fresh upon our hearts. Uh, but also just the reality that um, I believe a part of the spiritual warfare that's even specific to the island of Kauai and this place that we live is the spirit of sexual sin. And, and so I think that's something that's very prevalent in our culture. Uh, I think it's something that's prevalent in, in all of the worldly culture, but something that's very specific to our spiritual warfare here on Kauai. And, and I think there's some things that are just relevant to the church, right? I think the church has spent too much time in the political realm trying to fight sexual issues in the political realm while we weren't willing to deal with the issues of moral purity within the church itself, and we got so focused outside the church that we didn't deal with it inside the church. And because of that, the church has lost its authority and its influence in the culture. And so those are just a lot of reasons, a lot of the things that are on my heart that, that I think this is a topic that is important to deal with. Now, uh, I did not want to deal with this in a way of just like finger wagging, like this is a sin and this is a sin and stop doing this. Like that's, that's not going to help anybody. So instead, what I want to do is I want to look at this idea of moral purity, but I want to look at it through the lens of grace. And that's why that this teaching series here for the next few Sundays is going to be called The Balance of Grace. The Balance of Grace, right? And we've got the, we've got the slide with the scales on it, but what I was really thinking of uh, when, when, when I had this picture of the balance of grace uh, was the statue of Lady Justice. Right? I don't know if we've got, we've got the slide of it here. And, and there's lots of different uh, variations and artistic works and statues all over the world uh, that represent Lady Justice. And the idea of Lady Justice can actually be traced back to some pagan origins. But this particular form of the statue can be traced back to about the 1600s. And what is it about Lady Justice? Well, there's three things that, that are common no matter how Lady Justice is portrayed and the different statues and the artwork. And that is, uh, first is the blindfold, right? And, and the blindfold implies impartiality. Justice is impartial. Right? It doesn't look at the color of your skin or where you're from or your title or your authority or how much money you have. That justice should be blindfolded. It should be impartial. The second thing that is common is the sword, right? And the sword represents authority, uh, that, uh, that some entity has the authority to distribute justice. And like a sword, justice can be distributed swiftly at times. 
And then the third thing is the scales that Lady Justice holds, right? And the scales represents the balance between the deed that was done and the punishment, right? You know the saying, the punishment should fit the crime. And so there's this scale of justice that the punishment is balanced with the deed that was done. And so we have all three of those things, and we have Lady Justice, for, uh, for my hard rockers from the 80s, right? Metallica did Injustice for All, and Lady Justice was on the album cover, and she was kind of tied up and broken because it was implying that justice wasn't being served. But we have this idea. So as I thought about this, I thought, well, you know, these same things apply to grace, right? Grace is blindfolded. The Bible says that God does not see whether you are Jew or Gentile, whether you are slave or free, that grace does not see the color of your skin or your socioeconomic status, that grace is impartial. God makes it available to everybody regardless of where you come from. And then we've got the sword, right? For us, the sword represents the Word of God. And we know the Bible says that grace came through Christ Jesus, and Jesus is the Word, the living Word, right? So, so we know that the Word of God brings grace into our lives. And then we've got the scales, that there should be balance. And this is what I really want to dig into in this sermon series is this idea of the balance of grace, that we would find balance. And so I want to put this up on the screen here. This is something that we actually address as part of our masterpiece process. So if you're going through the masterpiece process with us, you've probably uh, already seen this. But it's this spectrum that goes from licentiousness on one side of the spectrum to legalism on the other side of the spectrum. Right? What is licentiousness? Licentiousness is the declaration that nothing matters. Right? It doesn't matter if I sin. It doesn't matter how I act or how I behave. It doesn't matter because Jesus is just going to forgive me anyway, so I can do whatever I want to do. That's licentiousness. That's, that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is legalism. And that's where we all become a bunch of rules police and we walk around putting a yoke of burden on each other as, as we condemn each other and look down on each other and expect each other to, uh, to all live up to our expectations, right? That's legalism. That both ends of those spectrums are wrong. What we want to find is the balance of grace in the middle of that. We don't want to be licentious. We don't want to be legalistic. We want to be a people of grace, so first off, let's look at the word grace biblically. It's the Greek word hiaris. And what does it mean? It means God's undeserved favor and help to those in need. So when we're talking about grace, we're talking about something that we receive from God that we could never deserve, that we could never earn. But when God helps us, when he loves us, when he forgives us, when he's there for us, and we don't deserve it, that's grace. That's what we're talking about. I love this declaration when it comes to grace, and that is this. Everything that I am and everything that I have comes from my union with Christ, not my own merit. Everything that I am and everything that I have comes from my union with Christ, not my own merit. Listen, I am a pastor and a preacher, not because I deserve it, not because I earned it, simply because the grace of God distributed that spiritual gift into my life. That's why I'm a pastor. It's not my own merit. It's my union with Christ. I have an amazing marriage, not because I deserve it, 
but because God gave it to me even when I didn't deserve it. It all flows from my union with Christ. And I passionately pursue having a healthy marriage, not through my own efforts, but through the grace of God that is upon my life. Are you guys following me? Right? Everything that I am and everything that I have comes from my union with Christ, not my own merit. And so our core scripture for this teaching series comes from Acts chapter 15. What we have here is in the early years of the church, right, the theology of the church was still being formed, decisions were still being made, difficulties were still being addressed. And one of those difficulties that was being addressed was that the gospel was now opened up to Gentiles, and Gentiles were coming into the church, and the question was, how Jewish should we expect these Gentiles to be? And so they actually formed what was called the Council of Jerusalem, where all of the apostles and the church leaders got together to answer this question, how Jewish should we expect Gentile Christians to be? And in the midst of the debate at the Council of Jerusalem, Peter stood up and shared, and this is Peter speaking that we read from Acts chapter 15. And Peter said this, and remember, Peter was the first one who saw Gentiles baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was the first one who water baptized Gentiles. So Peter had hands-on experience to address this question. And this was his conclusion. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? What yoke was he talking about? He was talking about the law of Moses. That for as long as the law of Moses existed, even the Jews never lived up to it. He said, neither we nor our fathers could bear it. We never did it right. So why should we place that yoke upon the disciples of Jesus Christ when it never even worked for the Jews? Instead, in verse 11, he says, but... We believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. So we want to find the balance of grace between licentiousness, which says I can do whatever I want, and legalism, which says we have to follow the law to be right with God. But in the middle is this balance. And so you can see in your notes the way I try to express this. What do I mean by the balance of grace? Is that we no longer live under the burden of the law, but moral purity still matters. It still matters. And that's what we want to go after, all right? So that was my introduction. That's the teaching series. We're going to spend three Sundays on this, and I want to address kind of three different questions when it comes to this idea of how do we find the balance of grace. And so you can see in your notes, which are in your bulletin, they're also attached to this video on our website, and they're attached to this audio if you're listening to the podcast, that the first question we want to deal with today is, can a believer keep on sinning? Is it possible if I come to Christ and surrender my life and will to Christ Jesus and declare him to be the Lord of my life, and I am born again by the spiritual work of God depositing his Holy Spirit into my life, can I keep on sinning? Can a believer keep on sinning, all right? That's what we're going to go after today. So looking at your notes, our big picture point today is this. A proper understanding of grace, especially in relationship to a lifestyle of moral purity, is vital for us to live righteously in the kingdom of God. So what we need is a proper understanding of grace, 
right? We've got to get away from what you might call sloppy grace. Some people call it greasy grace, whatever the case may be. But we want to get away from this idea that grace simply means that no matter what I do, I will be forgiven. That no matter what I do, me and Jesus are good. I can live however I want, and all I got to do is just say the name of Jesus and everything is okay. That's not grace. We need a proper understanding of grace so that we can live righteously in this present day. So first, I want to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. In fact, I'm going to reference this passage in all three sermons because I believe that this passage alone answers our questions or deals with all three of our topics for all three of these sermons. Let's read this. This is Paul describing himself to his young disciple, Timothy. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example of those who would believe in him for eternal life. So Paul experienced this grace of our Lord Jesus that Paul said was more than abundant. Now I love this. In the Greek, he actually uses a literary device here where what he's actually saying is uh, he's using the word abundance and then he added a precursor to it that basically makes it mean hyperabundance or superabundance, right? So when he's talking about the grace of Jesus, he says, man, the grace of Jesus is superabundance in our lives. It is super available. It is hyper, right? And we talk about hypervigilant or hyperactive. Come on. The grace of Jesus is hyperabundance. It is more than available for us. And what Paul was sharing with Timothy, Timothy, in light of our first topic today, is that this grace of Jesus was transformational in his life. I used to be one thing, he said, but now I am something entirely different. I used to be one thing, but now I am something entirely different. So Paul answers this question, can a believer keep on sinning? He answers this question as part of his writing in the book of Romans, and, and so I want to break this down, and then we're going to dig into the, this concept of grace. Uh, in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 18, and then we're going to read all the way through uh, to chapter 6 and verse 4, Paul writes this. He says, so then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. Right. So what is Paul talking about? He said that through the original sin of Adam... 
We are all born into a sin nature, and we have all sinned because one sinned. But through the righteous act of one, that one being Jesus, and his sacrifice on the cross, paying the price for our sin, we all now have access to righteousness through him. And then verse 20, it says, the law came in so that the transgression would increase. What does this mean? How is it that the law of God, right, everything from God should be good. So how is it that Paul is saying the law of God actually increased sin? Well, it could mean that the law of God made us more aware of our sin, right? Um, God gave the law, Paul actually teaches in Galatians, that God gave the law as a placeholder to keep his people in place until Jesus came, until the Messiah would come, right? And so the law was there to provide a way for people to be right with God until Jesus came. And so the law obviously listed out everything that was sin. And yet by seeing everything that was sin, sin actually increased because we are now more aware of what is right and wrong. And unfortunately, without the grace of Jesus or the deposit of the Holy Spirit, we are unable to live any differently. And so when the law came, transgression increased. But then Paul says this, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And guess what Greek word he used for abounded? The same one we just read in 1 Timothy, hyperabounded, superabounded, right? So as sin increased, grace superabounded, so that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? So the law increased sin, but where sin increases, grace superabounds even more. That grace is greater even than sin. And where grace abounds, no longer does death reign in our lives, but now we have the promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Right? You guys following me so far? So now Paul asks a question that I'm sure lots of people ask when they think about this idea of grace. What shall we say then, Paul asks, are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? If the more sin, the more grace, then shouldn't we just keep on sinning? Because more sin means more grace, right? And this whole idea of grace was revolutionary, Right? There was no world religion of Jesus' day or even of this day. There was no world religion that was based on grace. Every world religion was based on what you could do to be right. It was based on what you could earn, on what you could redeem. It was not until Jesus came that suddenly there was this message of grace that there is a gift of eternity that has nothing to do with what you can earn. So it was revolutionary, and people struggled with how revolutionary it was, right? Because some people thought, well, that's great, then I can do whatever I want. And other people thought, well, this is a problem because it's going to make people lazy because if they don't have to earn anything, they're not going to work for anything, right? This idea that, well, if God's going to love me no matter what, why would I be inspired to work? Well, think of it like this. I know that my wife is going to love me no matter what. 
I could respond to that love in one of two ways. I could be lazy and treat her like garbage and be a bum around the house and make her do everything because I know she's going to love me no matter what. Or knowing that she's going to love me no matter what, I'm going to cherish her and I'm going to desire to have the greatest relationship with her that I could possibly have. Right? So people struggle with this idea of grace. It's too free. It's too easy. And so Paul asked the question that many people were thinking, should we just continue in sin so that grace may increase? Of course, he's asking the question rhetorically because he's going to answer it himself. So here we go. What does he say? May it never be. May it never be. That is the answer to our question. Can a believer keep on sinning? The answer is, may it never be. Other translations say, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So the answer to our question today, can a believer keep on sinning? The answer is, may it never be. But I want to talk about why that answer is, may it never be. And the answer is because of the balance of grace. Because when we live in this balanced place in between licentiousness and legalism, and we find this balance, we're going to find that there is so much more than simply Jesus forgives your sin. And as you can see in your notes, I've got a lot of dots because I've got a lot of so much mores of what grace is. And that's what I want to look at today, the power of balanced grace and all these things that grace is in our lives. And then I want to bring it back to putting it into practice in our lives. So let's talk about the first one, Ephesians 2.8. This is the basic one. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So our first one is grace saves. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We simply surrender ourselves to Christ Jesus, and his finished work on the cross redeems us from our every sin. We are forgiven beyond any merit of our own. But here's the thing. This is where a lot of Christians stop. Grace saves, that's awesome, my sins are forgiven, and that's it. We stop right there, and that's as far as we go with our understanding of grace. And again, this is where people then say, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want. Every once in a while, I mention the name of Jesus, and my sins are forgiven. I've got to get out of hell free card. I'm going to go to heaven. Right? But that's not the Bible. That's not the gospel. That's not the kingdom of God. Grace saves, and that is wonderful news. But we can't stop there. So let's go to our next one, which we just read in Romans 6, 4. We've been buried with him through baptism. So just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So our second one is grace transforms. Right? Remember, what did Paul say? I was formerly a blasphemer. I was formerly a persecutor of the church. But that's not what I am anymore. Grace transforms. 
Because we have been baptized into the death of Christ Jesus, that means that we have also been baptized into the resurrection life of Christ Jesus, which means we have been born again into something different. I was something, but I am not that person anymore. And this is the grace of God. I don't deserve this. I don't earn this. I don't work this up in my own strength. I simply receive the grace of God. And so what does that mean when it comes to moral purity? Well, it means not simply that I'm going to try not to lie anymore. It means I used to be a liar, and now I'm not a liar anymore. Right? When it comes to fornication, it's not just that I'm going to try to stop uh, sexual sin. It's that I used to be a fornicator. And now I'm not a fornicator anymore. I'm something different. When we find our identity in the grace of God having transformed us into something different, we recognize that we no longer have to be attached to that sin. Are you guys with me? Grace transforms us. The theologian Robert H. Mounts In discussing this particular passage of Romans chapter 6, he said it like this. The lives of believers are to be as different from their pre-conversion days as life is from death. Right? We have been resurrected with Christ Jesus to walk in newness of life. That means we used to be dead, but now we're alive. Right? We don't tend to struggle identifying the difference between somebody who's dead and somebody who's alive. Right? There, there's some pretty obvious differences when somebody or something is dead. They're not breathing anymore. They're not moving anymore. Right? They start to stink. Okay? There's some things happen when you are dead. And so if you put a dead person and a live person right next to each other, there are some obvious differences. So what does the grace of God mean? It means that when you put your old life before Jesus and your life today with Jesus next to each other, they should look completely different. And if they don't, then we're missing out on the transforming grace of God. And there is something in our union of Christ that we need to go after that's beyond the religiosity of saying the sinner's prayer and receiving the fullness of what God intended for our lives. Come on, let's keep going here. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Of course, again, that's the grace we like. Grace saves us. We're going to heaven. For the grace of God has appeared also instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So what else does grace do? Grace teaches. When we come to Christ, we have no idea what righteousness looks like. We don't know how we're supposed to live. We don't know what it's like to live in the kingdom of God versus living in the kingdom of the world. But grace teaches us. It shows us how. It not only transforms us into a different person so that we no longer have to be attached to those sins, it now teaches us how to live differently. I got this from the ESV Study Bible, so I can't even tell you who wrote it, unfortunately, but I thought this was amazing. It says, one cannot truly claim to be a recipient of saving grace without also being a student of training grace. Right? Come on, we don't just receive saving grace. When we come to Christ, when we become believers, we also become students of training grace. 
the grace that trains us to deny ungodliness and to live sensibly and righteously in this present age. Grace teaches us how to live a new life. Continuing on in Titus chapter 2, we get to verse 13, where again, continuing, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, instructing us, and causing us to look for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So what does grace do? Grace changes our focus. Whereas before we received the grace of God, we were focused on the troubles of this world. We were focused on our lives. We were focused on the here and now. We were focused on the temporary. Come on, when we are in the grace of God, our focus changes. Now we are looking for the return of our Savior. We are looking to eternity. In Colossians, it says if you're a believer now, fix your eyes on the things above, not on the things that are beneath. Grace changes our focus. We live with an eternal focus. We live with a big picture of the kingdom of God, not just the small picture of the struggle of our daily life. Grace changes our focus. Come on, let's keep going. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul was talking to Timothy about uh, some of the men who had started out as disciples and were serving Paul and how these men had actually abandoned Paul and turned their backs on him and actually, uh, actually attacked him and betrayed him. He then speaks of one man who stuck with him through all of this. And after describing these different people, those that betrayed him and the one that stuck with him, he then says this to Timothy, You, therefore... My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What is Paul implying? The difference between the men that walked away from the faith and the one who endured in the faith was the ones who endure in the faith are the ones who are strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So that means that in the grace of God, and in your notes it says the grace empowers that in the grace of God, there is a strength that we don't earn, that we don't deserve, that we don't have to conjure up within ourselves. There is a strength that comes from the grace of God. And it is a strength that we can endure no matter how difficult life gets. The struggles that we face, even when things don't work out the way we thought they were going to. Right? When temptation comes, there is a strength that comes from the grace of God. The great preacher John Piper said it like this, grace is not simply leniency when we have sinned. Right? That's another definition of sloppy grace. We just expect leniency whenever we sin. Grace is not that. Grace is the enabling gift of God not to sin. Grace is power, not just pardon. Right? When we just view grace as pardon, we're missing out on the fullness of the gospel. Grace is power, not just pardon. How about 2 Corinthians 12, 9? And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of God may dwell in me. Come on, grace provides. When we are in the grace of God, we have sufficiency for everything that we face in our life. Grace provides. 
in all of the passages that talk about the spiritual gifts, right? Do I have the spiritual gift of a, of a pastor or of a prophet or of an apostle? Do I have the spiritual gift of faith? Do I have the spiritual gift of serving? Do I have the spiritual gift of administration, the spiritual gift? Do, what spiritual gift do I have? What does the Bible say? It says that those gifts are distributed by the grace of God. So everything, we have everything that we need, our sufficiency, our equipping, our gifting is all provided by the grace of God. Come on, one more. 1 Corinthians 15.10. And I love this one because this one challenges this whole idea that grace will make us lazy. Paul says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me did not prove vain but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. So in your notes, I wrote it like this, grace inspires. Grace didn't make Paul lazy. Grace actually made Paul work even harder. He said, the grace of God that was working in me that made me something new by the grace of God, I am what I am. I labored even more. He says, but not in my own strength, but by the grace of God that was in me. So the grace of God inspires us. I want to do more for the kingdom. I want to do more uh, to love people and to serve people and to preach the gospel. I want to see my life more transformed as a reflection and a witness of Jesus. But we don't do it more just working ourselves ragged. No, we do more in the grace of God. So if we just stop at saving grace, the leniency, I can just keep on doing whatever I want to do, and Jesus is going to make a way for me to go to heaven, we are missing out on what the Bible really teaches. Grace doesn't just save. It transforms. It teaches. It empowers. It provides. It inspires. And where does it come from? It comes from our union with Christ's. So you can see our conclusion in our notes is this, is that a lifestyle of moral purity should be the only expected outcome of God's grace. Right? Not a lifestyle of I'm going to do whatever I want to do. You can't tell me how to live. I can go off. I can have sex with whoever I want. I can act however I want. I can be a jerk at work. I can cuss up a storm. I can get angry at people and yell at them. I can treat people like garbage. I can do whatever I want. And then I show up at church on Sunday and I can just smile and say all the religious things we say in church. And I'm good because that's grace. That's not grace. That's not grace. A lifestyle of moral purity should be the only expected outcome of God's grace. Now, we know that that happens incrementally. So again, we're not going to get legalistic here and judge one another because we all have imperfections and brokenness. It happens incrementally. God works on one thing, and then he works on another, and then he works on another. But this is our intended outcome. This is our expected outcome, is a lifestyle of moral purity. To live any other way is to reject the truth of the gospel. I want us to celebrate grace today. And I just want to get real transparent with you that I needed this sermon this week. And even if I might get a little bit dangerous here, I just feel the Holy Spirit prompting me that uh, 
something powerful is going to happen out of my own personal brokenness. So one of my weaknesses personally is that when I get out of my routine, like I struggle with my spiritual disciplines. And this is a weakness that I know I need to deal with and maybe even my guys that I do uh, the masterpiece process with, uh, we can work on this together and you guys can be my accountability partners. But uh, when I get out of my routine, I struggle and my spiritual disciplines fall apart. And so obviously I was out of my routine for a long time as we traveled halfway around the world and, and, and uh, we're in Spain and then obviously we traveled back and so uh, I'm out of whack and I'm not reading my Bible every day like I'm supposed to be and I'm not practicing the daily office three times a day like, like I do when I'm home and, and I'm in rhythm and, 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 and my, my spiritual disciplines just begin to, to scatter and, and when that happens, I'm not living in my union with Christ. And so when those spiritual things aren't happening, what happens is I'm left to my flesh, right? And so that's my personal weakness. That's something that, that I need to work on. But then what happens when we're left to the flesh? Well, it could look different for all of us, but this is what happens to me, and I hope some of you can relate to me. But when I'm dealing with my flesh, I get bombarded by an onslaught of desires to think impure thoughts. They, they come on. And so what do I do? I fight them because I'm a pastor. I'm not supposed to be thinking impure thoughts. I'm not supposed to be thinking about things immorally, sexually. I'm not supposed to be thinking about those things. And so this onslaught comes, and what do I do? I fight it. But I'm outside of grace. I'm not in union with Jesus. So what am I doing? I'm fighting it in my own strength. And so the thoughts come like, no, I'm, I'm trying to cast them out, and they come, and, 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 and they want to dwell, and I fight them, and I say no, and I, and I, I cast them out, and, but I'm fighting in my own strength. And so what happens when we keep fighting in our own strength? We get exhausted. And so I come home, and I'm physically exhausted because we just traveled halfway around the world, but that's not the exhaustion I'm talking about. It's more of a psychological exhaustion, Right? where just this discouragement sets in, where I'm just psychologically and emotionally tired and I'm not operating in my union with Christ and I'm fighting off this bombardment of, of awful thoughts because I don't want to live there because I know that's not who I am in Jesus, but I'm discouraged and now I'm, now I'm physically and emotionally tired and now the discouragement sets in and now I'm just like, man, now I gotta, I gotta lead this church and how am I gonna lead this church and we just cast big vision and I'm supposed to have this pioneer spirit and be passionate about praying and, and, and have a desperation to pray and, and, and I'm in a place where I don't care about any of it. And that's the condition I was in on Wednesday when I sat down to start writing this sermon. And man, I needed this sermon. Man, I need the grace of God. I need to know that I don't have to do this in my own strength. That it's my union with Christ and I don't deserve any of this and I don't earn any of this. But when I get back to my union with Christ, when I get back to walking with Him and practicing the presence of God and doing my daily offices and, and reading my Bible and I'm experiencing all the goodness of the grace of God and then what happens? The life comes back and the passion comes back and, and it's not so difficult to fight off those temptations and those thoughts and those things. 
Come on, you guys. I want us as a church to live in the grace of God. I want all of us to experience the fullness of what God intended for us. Not just the get out of hell free card, but a transformational life and a fullness of life and an abundance of life that we could never find in our own strength. That grace of God. I want us to be a people that don't just settle that we're just going to keep on sinning. No, there's something greater than that. There's something more that God has for us. And when we're living in that grace, we're going to experience such an abundance together as a community. And we're going to experience such an impact on our world around us. Let me have the worship team come back up. So I don't want us to get lazy in our grace and to say the grace of God means I can do whatever I want. I don't want us to get religious in our following of Jesus that we just come to church and we all act like everything's okay when we know there's no moral purity in our private life. Come on. I want there to be something real. Not a legalistic thing, not a yoke, a burden that we're putting on each other, but something real. That we're walking in this fullness of grace that it's teaching us how to live sensibly in this world. That it's changing our focus so that we're, we're thinking about the eternity of the kingdom of God. That we're inspired to do even more for the kingdom. And I just want to conclude by talking about John Newton. John Newton was known for, for many things. He was a, a pastor in Great Britain in the late 1700s, and, and he was a well-known preacher and, and, uh, and a minister. But two things specifically that he was known for, one is that he was an abolitionist. He was passionate about seeing slavery ended in Great Britain. And specifically, he spent the last 20 years of his life pursuing this. Why was he so passionate about being an abolitionist? Because before he came to Christ, John Newton was a captain of a slave ship. And he took his ship to Africa and kidnapped Africans and brought them back to Britain and sold them into the slave trade. And when he came to Christ, he could no longer be a part of that. And so he walked away from that. But he actually still even waited many years before he entered the fray of being an abolitionist. And he even said that he, uh, it was one of the great regrets of his life that he stayed silent for too long before he started fighting. But for 20 years, he passionately fought for abolition. Why? Because the grace of God had so transformed him that he was no longer the man that he used to be. And there was something new in his life. He died in 1807. He never saw the abolishment of slavery in Great Britain, but literally two months before he died, he saw the act passed in Parliament that eliminated the slave trade. And that was the fulfillment of his life right before he died. Another thing that John Newton was known for was being a songwriter. And he wrote a lot of hymns, but the hymn that he was most famous for was Amazing Grace. And he wrote this song out of the passion that he had for the grace of God that had so transformed his life from being involved in something so despicable to being involved in something so eternal as pastoring a church and fighting for abolition and all the things that John Newton did. Kauai Bible Church, I want to pray for you. And then I want us to just sing Amazing Grace together. And I just believe that God's going to do something powerful in our hearts today as we sing. I believe there is a ministry of the Holy Spirit that is going to happen and that there is an abundance of grace that is going to be poured out. 
And if there is any aspect of the grace of God that we've been missing, any aspect of our union of Christ that we've been missing, have we been missing the transformation? Have we been missing the power? We have power that we don't have to sin anymore. And it's not in our own strength. Have we been missing the teaching? We don't know how we're supposed to live because we've been missing the teaching. Have we been missing the change in focus? I have not been focused on the eternity of the kingdom of God. Has it been the inspiration? I have not been inspired to do more for the kingdom. Has it been the provision? I have not found my sufficiency for my day-to-day life in the grace of God. What is it that we have been missing? I believe that the grace of God is going to be hyper-abundant in this place today. And God is going to begin to fill in the things that we've been missing. And that we're going to walk in a newness of life. And we're going to see a greater expression of moral purity through our church. Because of His grace. Amen? Amen. Will you stand with me? Let's pray. Jesus, Jesus, we cry out to you today. Oh, would you pour out your grace upon this place? Lord, you said that we could come confidently before your throne of grace, that we do not have to be ashamed, we do not have to be shy, we do not have to be meek to ask, that we can come boldly before your throne. We can throw ourselves upon your throne of grace and that we would find help in time of need. And so we come boldly today, Lord. We don't ask for something out of entitlement. We know we don't deserve it. We only ask because you said we could have it. And so, Lord, we want to receive more of your grace, more of your grace. Oh, let it wash over us today. Let us find our identity in it. Let us find our strength in it. Let us find our sufficiency in it. Oh, by your grace today, Lord, would you tell us who we are? And would you remind us that we are not who we used to be? We are not who we used to be. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let your power flow. Strengthen us. Renew us. Teach us. Inspire us. Remind us. Redeem us. Let your grace have its way in this place today, Lord. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for that, Jesus. I close with this from John Newton. He said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be. But still, I am not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, he quotes the Apostle Paul, I am what I am. Come on, Kauai Bible Church, we're not there yet, but we're so much further than who we used to be without Jesus. Let's let the grace of God take us the fullness of the distance. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us as we worship today.